This is the EWN Podcast Network. Welcome to Prime Spark, the podcast that brings you conversations that inspire, celebrate, and empower women over 55. The second women's revolution is here, and it is time for us to fuel a spark that will ignite your way forward, illuminate your path, and reflect your gifts in the world. Now, here is your host for Prime Spark, Sarah Hart. Hi, this is Sarah Hart. Welcome to Prime Spark. I'm so happy you're here with us. Prime Spark is designed for women over 55 or close, with a goal to help us all live our happiest, most fulfilling, and productive lives now and in the future. The mission of Prime Spark is to change the way our society sees and treats older women. That's a big mission, which only means we all need to be involved and we need to get started now. And today I have the great pleasure of talking with Michelle Schumann, a woman whose work and writing I greatly admire. Michelle Schumann is an environmental scientist with over four decades of experience in Alaska. She has worked in the private sector, developing environmental impact statements and conducting field surveys from the northern tundra to the rainforest of southeast Alaska. As an oil spill ecologist for the state of Alaska, her most notable and arduous accomplishment was acting as a first responder on the Exxon oil spill, analyzing one of the most devastating and long-term man-caused disasters in North American history. She recently retired as the ecologist for the USDA after 20 years, where she is well known for her expertise in wetland science and environmental policy. In October 2020, she began writing her memoir, The Understory, a female environmentalist in the land of the midnight sun. A year later, she signed an option agreement with HTWIP Productions for a screenplay. The Understory is available for purchase on Amazon, and other places that you can find on her website. Schumann is most comfortable among the colors of nature, exploring ecosystems around the globe. For now, she is content to write, tell her story, and give a voice to the underserved and undervalued who live in the understory, waiting to bloom and burst with energy. She holds a BS degree in wildlife biology and a master's in environmental policy. Schumann is a certified senior ecologist and professional certified wetland scientist. And as an advocate for climate change awareness, animal welfare, and gender equality, Michelle's passion is to pursue fictional story writing while weaving in the issues that affect our environment and natural world. For more information about The Understory, you can follow her on www.meschumann.com.wordpress.com. 
Welcome, Michelle. I'm so happy you're here today. Oh, thank you, Sarah, for inviting me to your amazing show. Thank you. Thank you. So just to get started, do you experience getting older? And if you do, what is that experience? And if you don't, why is it that you think that you don't? Gosh, I think since I moved from Alaska, yes, I do experience getting older. Um, you know, it was a rare day for for me not to be outside um, in Alaska, whether it was 20 below with 45 mile an hour winds. Um, you know, it usually meant I was shoveling snow or gathering wood. Or if it was 10 degrees and calm, I'd grab my skis and, you know, ski for miles through the forest and see nothing except for moose or lynx or wolf. Um, and I think it was a tough, challenging life, but it kept me fit both mentally and physically. And now I think the lack of being physically out active in the outdoors um, every day makes me feel older, maybe not in years, but, you know, mental fatigue and anxiety. Um, nature calms me. And so um, I think when I'm in nature and um, I feel freer and at home with myself, but again, I moved out of Alaska and may have 2020, right in the middle of COVID. So, you know, I think all of our lives have changed. And with that, I think it's natural to feel like, you know, I'm getting older. Yeah, that's interesting. I, and it's fascinating, Michelle, that um, I want you to just talk a little bit about the book, The Understory, because it's a fascinating book. And I highly recommend that everybody get a copy of it and read it. And it's many of us would have anxiety living through many of the situations you lived through in nature, in the wild. You are experiencing anxiety in your apartment in Florida. And so <laughs> I find that fascinating. So would you just for people who haven't got a copy of it yet, tell us a little bit about the understory. Well, the understory, if people don't know, um, are all those creatures and life that is, you know, below the trees. So many times they go unnoticed, but they're probably, they are one of the most important part of the ecosystem because they nourish all life. You know, the understory can also be considered animals under the sea, the ocean, and we'd be lost without the ocean and without these creatures. And so... I think the understory is about my life, primarily my 40 years um, working and living in Alaska and being always in the understory. As a female in a man's world, um, I always had to prove myself. And from the age of 19, my first job with the USDA, I realized gender inequality. And so, um, going to Alaska and working in the, you know, the remote environment was challenging and hard, um, but so fulfilling on seeing nature at its best. So the understory is about my life, um, the challenges I had, the obstacles I faced, um, 
from having a helicopter accident in the field to, you know, seeing the devastation I saw um, through the Exxon oil spill. And I think now so many people, um, because I'm 65 now. So when the Exxon happened in 1989, so many younger people don't even know what that was. Um, the, the, the Deepwater Horizon happened, and I was asked to consult on that one for the agency, and I couldn't do it. Um, and it's just, it's such a devastating loss that we've seen worldwide that that was another reason I wanted to write my book and my story. It's about a woman who was treated differently because I am female and the challenges that I faced from the beginning of my career to the end of my career. And, and also the joy and love of working in nature. And yes, I'm more at home in that because that's where I experienced my, gosh, my 40 years of work. And I've traveled all over the world as, as a scuba diver, as a sailor, as a hiker and explorer. Um, and now to see some of the devastation we are witnessing, um, I had to tell my story and tell it from my heart and what I've witnessed in my lifetime. And hopefully, hopefully through the art of storytelling, we can make a difference. Um, and the screenplay, I, I, I hope, you know, that will happen because it talks about all these things that we're experiencing right now. I'm interested when you talk about um, how different you were treated all the that's all, 40 years of being treated. <laughs> that's, a, that's a lot of years. Did it, um, as you got older, did it get worse? I mean, my, I'm really interested in gendered ageism. So did it get worse or, or did it just pretty much stay the same the whole time? It, you know, got worse. I mean, you know, when I showed up in my book, I tell the story of, you know, I showed up in Alaska and I immediately got shipped off to the bush and the challenges I faced, um, you know, that very first day when I showed up in an all-male camp. But, you know, at the beginning of my career, it was primarily gender, proving myself. All my male counterparts got paid probably two GS grades higher than me. As I got older, um, especially when I turned 55 and lost a promotion, um, it became ageism inequality, you know, um, and I don't know if it's just female, um, but it became obvious to me when I lost my position, um, something that I earned and it was for a nonsense reason because, you know, they couldn't come after me for anything else. It was because they said I was married to the head of soils program and it had nothing to do with, you know, my job. Um, my job was basically um, reevaluated by OPM as a higher grade. And our boss refused to have a GS 13 ecologist. And I was then, told this reason why I lost my job and um, trying to find, and I still stayed with the federal government, but it was, it was a battle. I was trying to get out of that office after, you know, such a humiliating um, situation. And 
boy, you know, when you're 55 and trying to find a job in the federal government, they know how old you are. Mm-hmm. And the question was, well, you know, how, what keeps you from retiring in five years if we're going to spend time in hiring you? So it switched, you know, um, it went from gender to ageism. And did you have any information at all about whether the ageism was also hitting all the men you were working with or or are you not aware one way or the other? I'm not. You know, I will say one thing. There was, um, you know, we just worked in a very, a very hostile environment um, in the office I worked in in Palmer, Alaska. And for those of us that especially women fought against that. Um, we were either forced to retire or forced into another assignment. And there was at least, I know one male um, who couldn't handle it anymore. And he tried to transfer out of the agency and he was looking at, a, he was even going for a lower grade. And he, w- he had the same issue where the guy, the supervisor that was doing the interviewing actually told him, well, what's going to keep you from retiring if I hire you? So, yeah, I don't think it was just women, but he's the only one that I know. I'm sure it's across the board, but my women friends now of the same age that are still working um, have it very difficult, you know, being 55, 60 and 62. What kept you there all that time? I mean, I mean, I was as I was reading your book, I was thinking. Go somewhere else, Michelle, go somewhere else. Um, And I I mean, I have strong sense of your love of where you were. And and was that apparently that was enough to keep you there? Um, You know, I only went back to the federal government after I had a helicopter accident. And I was offered a job after that happened um, because it was the bed, you know, my bread and butter was field work and I could no longer do the kind of field work I did after blowing out my knees from the helicopter accident. And there was a personal situation that happened when, you know, I was left alone. Um, The day of my accident, my partner went on vacation and that, that, that took an emotional toll on me as well as what I was in, you know, having to deal with physically. So I had a job offer in Bend, Oregon with the state of Oregon, and I was ready to go there. And then, you know, all things change, you know, um, my partner, you know, didn't want me to go. And so I took the job with the federal government in Anchorage, even though I really didn't want it. But after that, um, when things started going downhill, I did try to get I could no longer not work for the federal government. I had to stay with them. Um, And I had a difficult time um, finding jobs outside, especially if I wanted to go outside of Alaska. Um, So, you know, it's a little more difficult when you get by then, you know, I had my accident when I was 42. I went back to work for the feds when I was like 44. It was in 2001. So it became more difficult for me to be able to just pick up and move um, just finances and, you know, getting back into the workforce. Cause I was out of work for almost two years. Wow. Yeah. That would be hard. But yeah. So 
what are you doing now um, that is most meaningful to you? It's probably a very difficult time for you, but what are you doing that is meaningful for you? Oh, I would have to say that, you know, writing and through the writing of my memoir, um, it opened up a whole nother world for me. I mean, to meet the women I've met like you, I mean, I was alone for my entire federal career, you know, um, and that's where I mostly felt the gender bias was in the federal government um, in Alaska, um, where I worked outside with the other with the same agency in a different state. I didn't feel it. It's primarily I felt that in Alaska, but writing my memoir opened up this environment to me that I'd never had before. And it's these women that are, you know, have these platforms to tell the world that, yes, there is discrimination. And so writing has just um, opened up. So, oh, it's just been so meaningful, you know, to see this movement of podcasts by women for women. So that's probably the most meaningful thing that I'm doing right now. Was the understory the first thing you had written? No. Um, <laughs> um, it, after my accident, I was pretty well isolated on a mountain and um, I couldn't walk. Um, my other half, I had a, you know, a mattress on the floor and my computer on the dining room table. And that became my world for six months. And um, I started writing Um, friends wanted me to, they were like, write about what happened to you, write about the mining industry and workers comp. And I went, oh my God, I'd probably kill myself. So instead I wrote a fictional story um, set in French Guyana and that I loved writing that. Um, And I won an e-award if that, uh, you know, an e-book award contest and um, the book got published. (laughs) And um, what I didn't understand is I assumed it had also been professionally edited. So that was the first non-technical fictional story I've ever written. And um, that started really to write my memoir, you know, to do that. And my goal is to, continue to write a series based on that first novel I wrote. Oh, that's exciting. So, so what kind of, so say a little bit more about what we can expect next. Oh, well, hopefully, I mean, I, you know, the first thing is hopefully, you know, I'll be able to see the understory on screen. That would be the best thing ever. So um, under the, you know, work of Pamela Weiss, um, that's my first hope. And meanwhile, Um, I am planning to bring Jaguar Moon back to life. And that was the name of the first novel. And um, that's what I would like to do is work on that, get it up to where it's professionally edited now that I understand what editing is all about. Um, And then from that one, produce a second one. And the Jaguar Moon is based in South America, where a mining company is polluting um, and destroying um, a specific area of indigenous people through um, 
through devastation caused by mining, but this group wants to do it in an environmentally friendly way. But through that story, it's primarily about indigenous plants that I researched. And um, it's all based on what these plants can do. You know, they can cure cancer, you know, or they can also cause asthma and respiratory infections and pandemics. And so that story was written in 1998 and 1999, but that's what I want to bring back to life. You know, a little bit of mystery, a little bit of murder, a little bit of science, um, all in a story. Oh, do it, do it, do it. That's, that's <laughs> real. I mean, talk about um, something that needs to be written now. Wow. I mean, that needs to happen. Yeah, I would love it. I mean, I would absolutely love to bring that back. The memoir was something I had to do. It was it was just something that I had to do. I was told I need to tell my story, hopefully to help other women. And um, it was hard. The memoir was definitely hard and took an emotional toll. But Jaguar Moon and writing that fictional, you know, truth was fun. And so, yes, it, it's a much different um, toll on one's, you know, writing ability, I think. <laughs> do you feel you're healed yet from writing your memoir? Yes, I do. I think, um, you know, because I like what you said, you know, why did I stay? Um, I don't know, you know, as you get older and you just, you know, I didn't have that rough. I lived in a beautiful area. Work was horrible sometimes, but I still made do, right? I still, I still came home and skied and I still had my garden. I still had my friends and I had my cats and, but writing the memoir, I realized wow, you know, you you carry things from when you were born, right? You know, I was, I was the person that always took care of everything. I was that middle child. And it's amazing to me, once I put everything in black and white, you know, the impact of how I lived my life, even though I thought I was a independent, you know, successful, professional person, um, we're still born with what we're born with. And yeah, so I, I am, I, I really, I think I just really want to get that story out though. Yeah. I really want to get the environmental issues out there and also about women, you know, that, you know, a lot of people didn't, you know, actually called me a liar that those things didn't happen to me, um, when I worked and those things do happen, you know, um, and I think that's what podcasts and platforms like yours and Bonnie Marcus's have showed us. It happens everywhere. And we need to stand up and fix that. So other women don't have to, you know, have those same issues. Right. Yeah. As you describe all that, it's, um, it, it, it really impacts um, that. One of the things, unfortunately, I think as women, we oftentimes do is make do. Mm -hmm. you know make do just make do and um hopefully books like the understory i mean that's a it's a powerful story and uh hope uh, do can, when can we expect the screenplay do you know anything about i don't know you know um i know i think pamela's got two or three of them um um 
I think she's, I don't know if she's actually started it, but she's got the timeline. Um, we worked on a timeline, you know, with photos and everything. Um, so I, I don't know. She's a busy, talented woman. So um, hopefully it's, it's going to be coming along here. Um, I hope yeah. so. I hope so. We will be watching. <laughs> so of all the things you've done, you've done so many things, Michelle. What are the three things you're most proud of? Oh, gosh. Um, I think. I think taking that leap of faith when, you know, I was raised to always work. My parents just were, would have been happy to see me be a secretary when I came out of high school, you know, I always wanted to be a vet. So I think because I knew I wanted to go to college, I think that is one of the most proudest things I've done. And, you know, is, is getting that college degree and doing that and then taking that leap of faith and quitting the federal government and traveling and seeing the world. Um, That is a hard thing to do, but it is so worthwhile. And I I'm very proud of that. Um, I'm also very proud of holding true to my environmental ethic. And, you know, I've never faltered on that. It's, it's been part of my life, you know, as, as age three. Um, and the other thing I'm extremely proud of is the understory. Yeah. That is, you know, and, and I just, I would love to be able to see that on the big screen. You will, you will, you will, you will, you will, I'm sure. <laughs> do you have any idea how you developed your interest in the environment? I mean, you said since age three, that's, I mean, that's amazing. You know, I have a feeling a lot of that is in my DNA. My mother was an animal lover. Um, and, you know, she was someone I, I just, you know, it's just too bad. She had a rough childhood and I don't even know if she graduated from high school, but she loved animals. She loved the environment. And so, you know, we were taken out of school, you know, to go fishing and um, to go camping. And so I, I, I think that um, is part of my DNA. Um, I, I remember, you know, I write this in my story about, <laughs> You know, if I saw a baby bird, you know, on the ground, I'd bring it home. Or if I saw, you know, a dog without an owner, I'd bring it home. And um, I don't know. I just, I think it's just part of who I am. Um, I became an environmentalist when I was three or four years old. Amazing. Well, we need you. We need more like you. Um, do you ever think of doing, uh, maybe you're doing this, but giving talks in schools? I have, and that is a, an area I would like to do. Um, I, I taught a lot of courses, more technical courses as part of my job um, through um, the agency I worked for. You know, I taught wetland training and, and I taught young kids how to, you know, conduct wetlands and, you know, determinations. And I actually enjoy that. And as soon as I can get things a little more settled, um, I am reaching out. Um, you know, I, I miss my community. I would know exactly where to go if I was still in Alaska, you know, here, I just don't know that community at all. So, um, I'm floundering a little, but I would love to do that. I would love to be able to teach some of these courses, you know, that are in my book, 
you know, even if it's a environmental ethics. And I think when I was in my graduate program, um, I took an environmental ethics course and the professor was, I mean, she, she goes, she said to me, Michelle, I can't wait to read your published works. There you go. There you go. So I would love to teach something like that, you know, just um, an environmental ethics course and, and use my, my book as a, a reading material. Well, I would encourage you to do that. And you, you will find your community. You haven't been there long enough yet. And um, it's a hard time to find community. I mean, you know, you, it's, it's just a very, yeah, well, we don't need to talk about that. <laughs> We don't need to talk about that anymore. Michelle than does that, you know, she does it big and she moves Alaska and she does it in the middle of a pandemic, you know, another story. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the over story. I don't know. <laughs> I know. And there actually is a story. There is a book out called The Overstory. Oh, is it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's kind of interesting. I didn't know about it until after, you know, I've already finished my memoir, but right. yeah. So when you leave this earth, Michelle, what do you hope your legacy is? Oh, gosh. Um, I, I hope, um, despite all the challenges and obstacles um, in my life, um, I got up every day. I, I got out of bed. I forced myself to get out of bed to fight another day because that meant I was living. And I, I think, I hope that to, to give people a voice, to be that voice for those who can't speak, um, I hope that is my legacy as well as I never gave up on me. There might have been other people that gave up on me, but I would tell women, never give up on yourself. Never do that. Yes. Get up, fight it. And go on, you know, because the alternative is not a good alternative. No. You know, and so you 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 have faith in yourself. You don't need anybody else actually telling you, you know, and making you, you know, you've always got you, your heart, your soul. And that's what I hope my legacy will be. <sighs> Wonderful. Anything I want to say that I didn't ask you. Oh, gosh. Um, I probably would say that the thing that I thought was important, too, is how women our age, you know, um, are we satisfied? Are we frustrated or what? And I have found that my married friends in very happy relationships and beautiful, you know, partnerships um, are happy at their age. But what I've found is those of us that have lost our partners or are alone, um, loneliness is probably the hardest thing. And I think by having these groups, uh, Story Summit and podcasts, I think these are so important for women our age to have that, that link, that link to others and that community. Um, so even though we are alone, you know, like I'm alone now, I don't have my cats. I feel not lonely, you know, because of the women that I have met. Right. 
So at some point when it's possible, you might have circles of women um, to help get your message uh, out and to support one another. Um, that's beautiful. Thank you. So that's our time today. Please join us again. You can find our Prime Spark podcast on every popular outlet. Find out more about Prime Spark at www.primesparkwomen.com. Thank you so much to my guest, Michelle Schumann. And don't forget, you can find out more about her and contact her at www.meschumancom.wordpress.com at wordpress.com and get her book. It is really a wonderful, wonderful read from a wonderful woman. So thank you for being with us. Take care. Spread tolerance and love. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us on Prime Spark. With each episode, Sarah Hart brings you conversations that inspire, celebrate, and empower women over 55. If you would like to listen to or download other episodes about remarkable, experienced women, go to EWNpodcastnetwork.com. This podcast is also available at Spotify, Apple Podcast, and most other major podcast sites. The second women's revolution is here, and we hope that you use the insights you've gained here to fuel the spark that will ignite your way forward, illuminate your path, and reflect your gifts in the world. Have you ever asked yourself this question, why is it so hard to make a buck? <laughs> I know I have. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. What I have discovered after going from the brink of bankruptcy to running a multi-million dollar award-winning business is this. You can't build a million dollar dream hanging around minimum wage mindsets. My mission is one million women entrepreneurs generating one million dollars in annual revenue. So here's what I've done. I've created the mother of all entrepreneur success programs that you can access online on your time. It's called Monetize Me Now. It's a seven module online course that is 100% my success formula, covering mindset, mission, management, motivation, marketing, and measure. Come on, take my hand and I'll show you the way to learn to earn flowing revenue for your business. Visit monetizemenow.com for details. Calling all speakers. E-Women Network has speaking engagements all over North America that must be filled. Are you a gifted messenger, author, expert, or successful entrepreneur that can help women entrepreneurs grow their businesses? Our mission is to help one million fulfilled women each achieve one million dollars in annual revenue. If you're a speaker that can help women prosper, go to eWomenNetwork.com and sign up as a pro member of our Speakers Network. That's eWomenNetwork.com.
Thanks for listening. This is the EWN Podcast Network.